0: This is Keith. And this is Ben, and this is Main Street Lutherans. Today, we're gonna talk about another sacrament. We already talked about communion. Today, we're gonna talk about baptism. So Keith, let's do a sacrament recap. You know, we we talked before about what sacraments were, but uh, somebody complained that maybe we got it wrong. So let's see if we can do it wrong again.
1: (laughs) At least we'll be consistent. That's right. Or maybe we'll be wrong in a completely different way. Who knows? Let's hope. Yeah so uh, at the time when luther and melanchthon and their their peers were teaching and writing and wrestling with all of this they weren't seeking to add any sacraments but they they did seek to define them in a particular way which led them to narrowing the number of sacraments from the the church of the
0: time which would have been the roman catholic church now
1: right had, had seven sacraments uh and i will struggle if i try to name them all so i won't they did include communion and baptism. The definition that, that Luther uh, came up with is that a sacrament is something that is commanded by Jesus in the gospels. It is connected to an earthly component, an earthly element, uh, something that you can touch and taste and, and see. And it has a covenant attached to it, a promise. And so by that definition, especially the earthly element piece, we come down to the two sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion. And uh, the ELCA's practices, as you know, in a in a practical way, are outlined in a document that we've talked about before called the Use of the Means of Grace. And I think we've got a link to that in the uh, show notes.
0: We do. When you're looking for baptism in particular, it's on pages. Starts on page 19, but that's just the title. Page 20 uh, starts with the me. It includes things like it should be done by a pastor. It should be done in community. That sort of stuff yeah. not not our theological thoughts on it but the practical what should be done and how should it be done
1: yeah and there are some exceptions to all of those things too and we're going to talk about a few of those later on
0: absolutely
1: so what's what's baptism for then according to the church
0: you know as, as a christian church generally right it's it's answering god's call uh jesus says to go baptize all nations right in the name of the father and the son and the holy Spirit. And so that is what baptism is for us. It's bringing people into the family of God. I think that's generally what uh, the Christian Church. We can say that all all Christian denominations that do baptisms. That's what we agree on. A Roman Catholic Church has a more precise definition to that. I'm not really acquainted with that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, but Protestants in general have. Uh, sort of a looser definition to it it but but we all uh, baptize in the name of the triune God mm-hmm. that's that's what we hold in common there
1: yeah and that and that baptism sort of initiates us into the family of the church, right
0: and you know if we we talk about Luther, uh, the way I perceive it anyway, and you can correct me on this, is that our baptism links us up gives us the kernel of faith i think of it like a like a corn seed or something that the baptism gives us that that initial faith that god then feeds feeds us with through the church with in particular communion that that grows our faith that that helps nurture our baptism
1: yeah yeah and we also talk about it as the place where i don't i don't like the expression where we receive the holy spirit because that somehow makes it sound like we you know didn't have it before, but we talk about baptism as being sort of the the theological root of our understanding that God works through us in the in the world around us and the lives of the people around us and the, and the Holy Spirit and 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 our own spiritual giftedness is kind of the language that we use to talk about that and and we do indeed link that with the uh, the sacrament of, of baptism
0: and it links us to Jesus' death.
1: Yeah. So that's yeah, it that's makes
0: our rebirth.
1: Yeah, it makes that promise, you know, which is a very general it's kind of like uh I heard it described once as um, you know, taking the very general statement that God loves all people, which is certainly true. And in that in that specific moment, it's God saying, And I love you, you child that is that is currently being baptized. So it takes that very general promise, which again is is completely true, and makes it very personal, very specific to to that to that person, we talked about the ways of the means of grace a little bit, but one of the uh, questions that comes up in you know, various conversations about baptism is the appropriate age to be baptized. Uh, some traditions practice what might get referred to as a as a believer's baptism, but it's really a, a baptism where you know they're able to make that choice for themselves and say, "I want to be baptized," and so. You know, in some traditions that happens at various ages, might be 12, might be 16, might be older than that. So, of course, you know, babies can't make choices other than, no, I'm not going to eat that. <laughs> you know, people say, well, why is it then, you know, you've got an infant that may not, that will not ever remember anything about this, that has nothing to say, whether it is happening or not. Why is it appropriate uh, to baptize them? And the answer is simple because they are God, God's beloved child and that's why it's appropriate to baptize them. And uh there is scriptural support for the practice, you know, in in the book of Acts there are stories of you know someone having a dramatic conversion experience as an as an adult and and they are baptized and so is their entire household with them. uh which would include presumably the children. And and again practically speaking it's it's a part of that understanding that you know it's not only that uh we make this this choice at a particular age but that we are um, as parents we're equipping our child to make that choice as they grow uh, you know make that choice over and over again to to be a to be a part of the church to be a part of the body of christ and so you know we're we're saying that this this child is being baptized in the context of a christian community and in the context of a Christian family with the, the parents being given the responsibility of helping to raise that child in the faith, along with the resources that the church provides to raise that that child in the faith. So, you know, that practically speaking, that's why we feel it is appropriate to baptize infants in particular. Not to say that we don't baptize older children and teenagers and adults and old people as well i've I've seen yeah I think
0: the the use of the means of grace uh, specifies that anybody can be baptized mm-hmm. um, yeah that we like to do uh, we like to baptize babies um, I think I think our congregations like to baptize babies in particular. It's always fun but
1: yeah move the, the, mov- the moving things that I've seen sometimes are when you've got two generations of a family being baptized together, maybe it's a parent and an infant who's just been born, or maybe it's a parent and a teenager. Uh, Or or an older child being baptized at the same time—that's a that's a really powerful experience.
0: So functionally, when we baptize, I think most churches do a sprinkle. Is that what you do
1: in the in the Lutheran Church? Predominantly, yeah. Uh, So you would have you know what can amount to a very small amount of water, and it's just scooped either with the pastor's hand or sometimes with a a seashell uh, in certain uh, communities and. and just sort of poured lightly over the head of the uh, person being baptized. Um, Certainly, I've seen baptismal fonts in Lutheran churches that would allow for what we'd call immersion or submersion, um, but they're not terribly common. You know, the font that the, at the church that I serve. Um, The font hole itself would probably hold, I don't know, maybe three gallons of water, (laughs) but they actually put a little dish in the bottom of it that holds like literally a cup, (laughs) you know, like six or eight ounces of water. And that's it. (laughs) That's what we use for the baptism. Uh,
0: Curiously, does it, does it, does it have a plug so you can empty it? From the bottom no you that's the that's up. why they that's yeah, exactly why they
1: use the the dish in the bottom of it because otherwise you'd have to bail it all out with a, a sponge or, or a bucket or something yeah that would yeah
0: be, yeah now is is the water holy water is it blessed ahead of time is it
1: no it's really just the water out of the tap uh there's nothing special about it and so you can be baptized at the church you can be baptized in a creek you can be baptized in a pool it would all be the same.
0: We don't have any special disposal issues with it, then, right?
1: No, not the way we think about communion, because I, I think because water is water, and in our understanding of what water is and where it goes when we're finished using it, yeah, it's
0: water does isn't Jesus Himself,
1: right? There is a prayer at the time of baptism that speaks about the power of water, especially the power of water in Scripture and all the you know all these places where it appears. It usually, makes reference to things like the flood, crossing Red of sea. the the Red Sea, crossing of the Jordan, Jesus's own baptism. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and there's the significance of water for sustaining life. You know, it really is a clo- as close and intimate an experience of God. In terms of you know god is what keeps us alive water is every bit as powerful as communion in that regard it's not only the things that we drink and the things that we eat it's also just water itself is so critical to our mm. our human bodies and and you know all of creation so that prayer kind of acknowledges that it sort of ties us to that that understanding of water and our own rich history in in the hebrew scriptures and the new testament but no, the the water itself is not, it's not blessed. Magical. No, not even in the way that we would talk about the prayer that happens at, at communion. It's just a different kind of understanding. Yeah.
0: Okay. Now, as far as if I look at the the use of the means of grace, it says that the baptism should be within the community, so it should be in the sanctuary with with all the people not hidden away. There's a, a church I've been in the The baptismal font, it's a, for submersion, is is back behind a wall in the front of the church. But there's a wall, and and so they go back behind there. Uh, interestingly, that church, and this will identify it to anybody who knows about it. There's a, a towel with Tony Stewart on it because Tony Stewart was raised in that church. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so so it's the Tony Stewart baptismal font to me. But so that's different from what we we believe. But there are times and places where we might baptize people away from that right so we might baptize people if they are if if they are nearing death if there's trauma
1: yeah absolutely there are certainly occasions particularly when you've got a, a baby who is born you know with with complications or health issues and so here's actually let me put a pin in that though to say this baptism is one saves us jesus saves us And I firmly believe that, and I I firmly believe that, you know, there is no distinction in God's eyes between the baptized and the unbaptized, whether they are a person of faith, of any faith or not. But in addition to, you know, what we've already said about the significance of baptism in the life of the church, there's also the significance of baptism in the eyes, especially of, of parents for their children. You know, I can share a story. When I was on um, my my CPE, which is like the chaplaincy training that pastors in our tradition and, and others frequently do, part of their seminary education, I was um, a chaplain at a, at a hospital um, for a, a stint through the summer. And uh, while I was there, there was a woman who was actually currently uh, incarcerated in the local prison system, but because she had been uh, convicted while she was pregnant uh she came to deliver a baby and so she had come to the hospital where i was at she's under guard i'm chatting with her and she's lying in her hospital bed with with one hand handcuffed to the rail she was pregnant with twins and one of the twins and she was not terribly far along i don't recall this was 20 some years ago but i'm i'm gonna guess that she was maybe halfway through term i don't even think that far and so she had learned that one of her twins was developing better than the other, neither of them great. And so there was a chance that 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 one of the, one of the twins was very, very sick and was not going to survive the term. And so she had learned that uh, and, and that she was going into sort of a partial delivery, partial labor. And so she was told that if she delivered this this one very sick, very premature baby, that her second twin may have a chance of coming to term and surviving. And so, uh, she made the very hard decision to, you know, uh, basically intentionally, um, have a stillbirth. So in talking with her before she actually went through this procedure, she asked me about having her baby baptized and we both knew that her baby was not going to be alive for more than a few seconds, if at all after uh after it was delivered theologically speaking it wasn't really necessary or even I'll I'll use the word appropriate um for me to baptize her child but pastorally speaking it was the right thing to do and so I did uh with the help of one of the uh, nursing staff providing some sterile water and um uh some towels I was present with her while she birthed this baby uh, it was only the second birth I'd ever watched, <laughs> the first having been my older child, <laughs> and then almost immediately, as as soon as the doctors were able to uh, cut the umbilical cord and hand this little tiny, tiny, tiny infant over, I uh, I baptized the baby and passed them over to uh, the mom. And so, yeah, sometimes there are occasions where uh, baptisms happen outside of the uh, the the worshiping community. There are also even more rarely occasions where it's not a pastor who does the baptizing. You know, in our theological tradition, just like Holy Communion, the the strong preference for for structure and order in the church is that clergy, pastors specifically, ministers of word and sacrament, are the ones who preside over, over the sacraments of baptism and communion. But in you know, sort of emergency circumstances, perhaps like the one that I just described. if if I, as a pastor uh, had not been present, someone else could have performed that baptism, probably not in that specific circumstance with the questionability of of the appropriateness. but you know if 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 a baby was being born that was definitely going to be alive, but perhaps not for more than a few days or a week, depending on the circumstances and the location. Yeah, it would be okay for somebody else to do that baptism.
0: Yeah, that sort of bridges us over to you know, can it can baptisms be done wrong? Um, <laughs> and there are a couple couple places where we we get into that. First one is is that people who convert to Lutheranism, you know, if you convert from Methodist, you convert from Presbyterian, from Roman Catholic, uh, we're not gonna we're not gonna redo a baptism. You're you're baptized um, in the name of uh, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and so. That baptism is the baptism. The Latter Day Saints, the Mormons, are are the probably the biggest group that that might convert to Lutheranism. That we would baptize, uh, we wouldn't consider rebaptism, because their baptisms in that church are un, um, are in the name of Jesus Christ alone, and so and and their understanding of that is different than ours. And so, uh, we we would baptize uh, those folks if they convert, but it. The, the idea of rebaptism ha brought up in my mind you know what if somebody doesn't feel like they they recognize the person they were when they were baptized initially, either as a baby or as an adult um what, what how do we address that with those folks?
1: yeah uh, this comes up every once in a while, especially when um you know, you've got someone who who perhaps was baptized as an infant or or at least very very young, and they'll say something along the lines of. You know, I know that I was baptized when I was a child, and they're always like trying to demure away from, you know, and it's like it didn't mean anything at the time, <laughs> but they they'll say, you know, I was baptized when I was an infant, but now I've done this. you know, um, I'm making a new start. I'm no longer an alcoholic. I'm getting divorced from a from a terrible relationship, and I, and i'm I'm starting over in in life in a new way. You know, whatever it might be and they'll say, and I want to, I want to be baptized again. And the, and that's, that's a tough pastoral conversation to have, because in that case, again, it's, it's really inappropriate to, to baptize someone over again. And it also, you know, my usual response is something like, but what happens the next time, you know, the next time there's this transformational moment in your life, are you going to want to be baptized again, again? And, um,
0: and that's kind of a bleed over of this common understanding of or common i would say misunderstanding of christianity and protestantism it, that that you can be born again again right, right. that you have a yeah. second baptism um in some in some ideas um, it also
1: misses this the link that exists between baptism and communion where you know the, the promises of baptism and communion are are so integrally connected that you really can't talk about one or experience one without without the other. So I say, um, you know, rather than being rebaptized, go up to the altar rail again, take communion. It's the it's the fresh start that we get every every week. Yeah, you know.
0: Well, and Luther would say that he, you know, commemorates his baptism every time he takes a shower, right? Yeah, so we have that that message
1: yeah that we're that we remember our baptism was the wording you like to use uh, every time we say we're sorry every time we confess our sins every time we receive communion uh every time we wake up and and wash our face and start afresh yeah yeah it's a and, it's it's a returning to that is returning to that f- initial that first fresh start that we had in baptism because we, the reality is that we have fresh starts with every breath
0: so what about somebody who doesn't know if they were baptized as a as a child?
1: Yeah, that's a good one. I'd say um, you know, if they do know that they grew up in the church, you know, let's say, you know, I know that I grew up in in a Lutheran church or a Methodist church, I'd say, well, you were it was very likely that you were baptized then. If and we they grew up, up,
0: we'd contact their church to confirm it, perhaps. If we could,
1: yeah. If yeah. we could, if they knew where that church was and what it was named, uh, yeah, we could We could certainly call them and ask them. Most churches are pretty good about keeping those records. I remember when my wife and I got married, I forget exactly why, but I contacted her, the church that she was baptized in, which was a Catholic church in Ohio, uh, to find out the date. I, I think that was it. I think she wanted to know the date of her baptism so that it could go into the records that she was— joining my congregation because we were getting married yeah so but if uh you know somebody says well you know i grew up in a baptist church and i know i wasn't baptized because they would have done that when i was like 14 or 15 and i didn't then we would then we would baptize them yeah yeah but i guess you're right there is the if it's if it's a real question mark and we don't have any way to confirm it i'd probably pastorally err on the side of comforting them by just doing the baptism. Yeah, I, I I think
0: very good. So we've got you oh know, yeah, the
1: case we, of the invalid baptism. This is fascinating.
0: Right. Yeah, so we're, yeah. we're looking at twenty twenty two in the ancient times. <laughs> so so there was something a, going
1: on that year. I can't remember what
0: Roman Catholic priest in California is discovered in, and and they'd actually uncovered priests in uh, in other cities that had done this too, but. But this one's, this one's the one that made the news. And I'll share a link to this in the in the notes, an NPR article on it. So a priest uh, baptized people uh, with one word incorrect. And you would think that that would be, you know, like, say, Jesus instead of Jesus Christ or, or the patriarch instead of father or something like that. But no, no. Instead of saying, I baptize you, he said, we baptize you. And the Roman good. Catholic Church, probably the cardinal. Uh, maybe the the bishop of that area invalidated all the baptisms, and they estimate that that was um, maybe a thousand baptisms that invalidated because of that. I would imagine that that I mean that's just crazy. And so, first of all, would would this ever happen to... in the ELCA?
1: No, I, I I can't imagine. How would you even track those people down to tell them that their baptism wasn't valid? I don't. Yeah, I. Can't even- I, I, I can't fathom. Uh, so no, I. I. I can't think uh, that that this could happen in the ELCA. I just don't think that we're that. Yeah, you know, we've got because of our understanding of grace, even. Um, you know, we talked about this. I think in in our communion episode a little bit that even if the priest messes up the words, you know, or drops the bread partway through, that that does not. That the, that the state of the, you know, the efficacy of the priest does not undermine the efficacy of the sacrament, something like that. Uh, I think that would be true in this case, in this case also. Now, that being said, you know, we sometimes get into conversations about, you know, as people uh, rightly so question the use of, of patriarchal language, uh, even in baptism with, you know, our understanding of, of God and we, and we name God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You know, when I was in seminary, people asked the question, is it valid to baptize in the name of the, the creator, redeemer, and sanctifier? Or the God who made us, the God who saves us, and the, the God who
0: I don't sustains know us or or sustains like
1: that. us. Yeah. yeah. And and the you know, the short answer because of the ecumenical relationships that we have with some other faith traditions is no, because they don't recognize those baptisms. They spe- specify that. Baptisms have to be done in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so if we're going to remain in good standing with those other traditions, we do that as well. Even if, and I don't think the Lutheran Church has ever said we might consider other wording. But even if we might consider other wording, (laughs) you know, I I think that we would not do that. There is an alternative in the the, uh, liturgy that we use. You can ask, or you can say, "I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit, or so and so, the person's name is baptized in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And I tend to choose that second route simply because I think that it plays it takes the emphasis off of me as the pastor involved in the baptism and puts it on God. Um, takes it off of the, the the personal choice too. it's not it's not the parents doing this. it's the uh, it's God.
0: Yeah. Now, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to delay us getting to why everybody uh, listens to the show, which is the catechism questions. But the one last thing on this. So the folks that, that had their baptisms invalidated by the Roman Catholic Church, would would we consider giving them a fresh baptism?
1: I, I first I should say, truthfully, I have no idea. But I, as I've been thinking about this, because we were talking about this a little before we started the show, I suspect that, you know, again, both pastorally for them as real living, breathing people, and even sort of theologically, as far as our understanding of the church goes and those ecumenical relationships, if the Catholic church that we you know, are are aligned with, does not recognize their previous baptisms. Then perhaps we would seek to baptize those people. But I, I guess, I'm maybe leaving we could room. offer to
0: affirm their
1: baptism. I, well, yeah. And I guess I'm wondering, like, what what effect does this statement that their baptism is invalidated by their denomination? What effect does it have on them personally? And that's where the pastoral part of the conversation comes into play. Like, are yeah. they traumatized by this? And they're like, "Oh my goodness, I need to be rebaptized." Yeah, that is a different kind of conversation than, "I don't care what you say about my baptism; it was valid." Um, right. Yeah. But again, I, you know, structurally, as far as what the ELCA would say, I, have not a clue how to handle that one. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well. well. All right. So now, catechism question.
1: Yes. So the moment so, you've all been waiting for.
0: Yes. Um, so last week's question
1: mm-hmm. was: yep. When
0: Luther told his parents he was going to become a monk, they were a angry. They wasted all that money on his college education. B angry. He wasted his life and his talents. C angry. He wouldn't be able to take care of them in in their old age. And D all of the above. And the Answer is all the above. They were not pleased
1: for uh, for this episode's question based on that uh, reference that that Ben made about you know Jesus commanding us to baptize uh, all nations. We've got uh, this question that Jesus in uh, Matthew twenty eight twenty. So there's your cliff. There it's cheat. If you wanted to look this up before answering, you could. You, you might need to. Yeah. Um, RSV or Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus uh, promised his followers a I will be back next Tuesday I'll be back yes B I will miss you C I will make you financially better off or D I will be with you always and there's not an all the above there is not so okay. it's one of those it's one of those four answers back, back next Tuesday, Tuesday. I'll miss, miss you. you make you financially better off'll be with you always yeah 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 all, all right. right.
0: Send your answers in. Um, Main Street Lutherans is hosted by Keith Fair and Ben Fote. You can reach us at MainStreetLutherans at gmail.com. Also, our website at MainStreetLutherans.com or on the socials. We're at Main Street Lutherans on Facebook, Instagram, threads, and now YouTube. The show is hosted er, and produced by Folk Media Productions. Until next time, go in peace, serve the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God.